Poso maoni work, wai wanen kitanen ni mo e yoski pietaya posnotaman e yum MITW podcast. A yospis pietaya posnapi notaman and he sikimaka e yoso matnamene hokihi. Welcome to the Nominee Indian Tribe of Wisconsin podcast. I am your host, Sheena Wapoos. On this episode, I am joined by Von Bowles, Public Information Officer for the Nominee Indian Tribe of Wisconsin. I would like to remind people you can send in your COVID-19 related questions to us at podcast at MITW.org. Welcome, Von. Hey, Sheena. Thanks for having me in. We are doing a early episode this week due to Thanksgiving, so... Um, can you talk a little bit, just one more time, about recommendations for um, safety as far as Thanksgiving goes? Yeah, so for Thanksgiving, this, the safety recommendations are pretty standard across the board from what we've been hearing. You know, if you are getting together with individuals outside of your household, try to keep the number of individuals attending, you know, below the number of 10. Um, I know it's kind of cold. They do recommend eating outdoors. I think that might be for warmer climates and not quite as much a Wisconsin recommendation. But if you're into that, that's an option too. Um, you know, they also recommend bringing your own food, um, making sure you're not eating communally out of, you know, various dishes, um, you know, having one individual act as a server, uh, also using utensils and plates uh, that can be th- discarded afterwards. So single-use things. And that's just to, you know, decrease the opportunity for the spread of COVID. Um, obviously, you know, wear a mask, and they'd like you to maintain six feet between you and, and other individuals and stuff at the meeting. So please have please have a happy and, and safe Thanksgiving. We don't want anyone catching it, um, you know, during, during times of celebration. We understand that everyone wants to be around their family and friends. And if they do so, uh, please take precautions. So... So this week, we just hear more and more news about vaccines. That seems to be the hot topic right now as far as COVID goes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So will vaccines require more than one shot? And if so, why? Yeah, so just about every single vaccine requires more than one shot. Um, I actually can't think of one that is only a one shot exposure. Um, right now, the three that are likely to come onto the market uh, come from Pfizer, Moderna, Moderna and, and AstraZeneca. Um, they all have about a, a, a 90 to 95% effective rate, um, and they all require two shots. Here's why. It's, it's based on how your body's immune system works. The first shot um, provides your first exposure to antigens, which are parts of a virus or any sort of pathogen there they could be dead viruses um, inactivated or what are called attenuated um, which are essentially just parts of a virus and in, in uh, I believe two of the viruses they're using um, mRNA so once that's exposed to the body um, the body's uh, B cells or B lymphocytes um, start producing antibodies and the T lymphocytes are memory cells and it starts creating more memory cells so once your body starts that process it usually takes several weeks, you know, two to four, depending on the disease and depending on the health of the person to kind of build up those in the system. So once you do have those built up, um, there are reasons to get the second shot. 
they were they were looking at the tests and if you do just get one shot you you are protected but it's drastically reduced instead of being like 95% effective it's only about 60 or so so it's it's really beneficial to get the second shot um, and some of the reasons you need that is you know sometimes the first one doesn't stimulate enough um, production of B cells and T cells um, and this is pretty common with like um, the shot for meningitis that people get you know you need that second one for that that same reason um, also, you want to ensure that everyone has a strong immune response and stuff, and that really helps to develop that herd immunity. So they'll usually give two shots, um, kind of to make sure everyone's immune system has been exposed and is working properly. Uh, in some cases, vaccines, um, you lose your natural immunity over time. They, they're finding that people that are exposed to COVID and have had it um, are losing it. And so uh, that second shot kind of, you know, starts that process over again of, of making sure that uh, you're going to have a, a strong enough immune response when you're exposed later down the road. And this is pretty common as well. You see this with like your diphtheria or your tetanus shots. We get those every so often and stuff to make sure our body can uh, can can still fight that off and another reason to get the, the another shot or a second shot um, is sometimes there's viral mutation and that's uh, what we see commonly with things like uh, the annual flu vaccine there are various strains out there uh, and so each shot holds you know multiple types of strains so you have kind of a broader uh, defense against the vaccine so why two shots those are the reasons predominantly why we need two of them I kind of an off the cuff question for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, go for it. Okay, um, so we were talking with my coworker this morning, and her husband had COVID really bad, and he still has antibodies. Um, and this was he got it back in July, I think. Um, <clears throat> we were wondering, does it matter how like severely the disease affects you or the virus affects you? Um, as far as like how long the antibodies last in your system? So they're not totally sure about that. Mm -hmm. um, they are finding that, you know, some people that are young and healthy have very mild symptoms and their immune, their immunity to it lasts a long time. Um, you know, they're also finding people that have had, you know, horrendous cases and stuff are, are losing their immunity quickly. So they're not totally sure if it's a severity issue. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe. Uh, they're still encouraging and looking into the kind of the possibility of even if you have had it to mm -hmm. get a, uh, you know, a vaccine, a vaccination for COVID as well. Mm -hmm. And again, it's to, you know, really make sure that you, the immune system is up to fighting it off at a later time. So it depends. De your favorite depends. catchphrase. It depends. Okay. So what are the potential side effects of a COVID vaccine? I know there's a couple of them, like you said, but. Yeah, so the CDC hasn't published any hard and fast, you know, possible types of side effects. Um, each, you know, type of virus and vaccine does have their own side effects. Um, possible side effects out there, uh, there are a lot of minor ones, um, and they include, you know, minor versions or minor symptoms of, of disease. You know, you could have minor soreness, runny nose, congestion. Um, a little bit of swelling around the site. Some people experience, you know, fevers or chills or headaches. Um, you could have a little bit of joint pain in some cases. Um, some people experience sore throats. Um, and in some cases, there's vomiting. Um, so those are all minor types of reactions that are fairly common to this type of, of vaccinating. Um, there are major reactions that people do need to be aware of. 
Um, these are super uncommon though. They are literally like one to two people out of a million. So it's very unlikely anyone will have these types of reactions, but in the event they experience them, they do need to call, you know, a healthcare professional or, you know, 911. Um, and they could be like allergic reactions and stuff where there's major swelling or um, they could have an anaphylactic type of reaction where it actually closes off their, their esophagus. Um, they could have seizures. Um, some people may experience fainting. Um, and then in very rare cases, uh, people could die from it. I mean, this is a medical intervention. Um, most of the time, the prevention, which is what a vaccine is, is it far outweighs the risks of actually contracting the disease. You're far less likely to die from this shot than from actually getting the disease. So that is a possibility. Those are some of the things to watch out for. Um, I'm just going to put this to bed right now for the record. Vaccines do not cause autism. I don't know how or where that rumor started, but there have been a lot of studies out there for the past 20 years that have debunked that. If you get this vaccine, if you, uh, you know son or daughter gets it, uh, it will not cause autism. Um, you know, it's it's much safer for them to get this than to kind of take a chance, roll the dice, and and not get it. I I asked this question because I had seen an article about people saying they. It should be advertised that you can feel a little sick right. um, as a side effect because they were talking about, you know, that possibly affecting people wanting to go back and get the second shot once they, you yeah. know, kind of experience those side effects. Yeah. So maybe if they're prepared for it and know it's just a normal part of it, you know. Yeah, exactly. And that's what you're trying to do, actually, is you're trying to trigger an immune response. And mm -hmm. when you are sick, that's your immune system working to flush viruses or bacteria out of your body. It's not necessarily that you're being harmed by the, the pathogen at the time. Um, mm -hmm. So if you do experience, you know, mild symptoms after the vaccine, you know, throw yourself a little party. The vaccine's doing its job and, you know, wait until you're supposed to get that next shot and please show up to do so. That wouldn't make you contagious at all. No, the... The way the vaccines work when they when they give you, you know, attenuated pieces of the virus, um, mm -hmm. it means that it can't replicate in your body. Um, okay. And so you're you wouldn't be able to pass it on to others. Yeah. Cool. All right. So um, in this week, it was mentioned in PSAs about local hospitals uh, being full. So can you just talk about the consequences of having such full hospitals? Yeah. Without sugarcoating it, it means that patients with severe cases are at a much higher risk of dying and stuff because they wouldn't be able to get um, either the pharma pharmacological intervention they need, the, the medicines they need, um, or in extreme cases, um, they wouldn't have access to ventilators. Um, and so they might have to be transported to somewhere else. Uh, we've heard of cases, you know, far to the north of the reservation right now um, where individuals have been transported clear down to Milwaukee for treatment. Um, that, you know, increases risk of community exposures, not just to COVID, but to other types of diseases and illnesses. And if you're already fighting COVID off, you don't want to be exposed to additional viruses. Um, so it just puts you at greater risk for more exposure um, and delays in treatment, especially with severe cases that need to be hospitalized. Um, the timing really is important. And the sooner you can perform medical intervention, the better. And so, uh, it just increases the risk unnecessarily. And so if we can 
slow the spread through our actions and behaviors. Um, hopefully we can bring down the, the number of cases in our hospitals right now, um, allowing those that really need to be there to receive the treatment in a timely manner. So I came across this COVID tracking project, which is in the Atlantic, and I was just kind of going through the data that's on there. And for Wisconsin, it shows that Native Americans are disproportionately more likely to die of COVID. And can you speak to why that would be? So I haven't seen the, the specific data you were looking at, but I have read several meta-analyses where you know various studies are all brought together and all the data is analyzed as one giant congregate whole. Um, and, you know, I, we have seen that Native Americans are, you know, affected at a higher rate than some of the others. Um, this might be due to several of the factors um, surrounding how Native American live. Specifically, um, a lot of them live in multi-generational homes and have a high number of people living in close proximity. Um, so that is one reason that, uh, or that type of scenario, I should say, allows for COVID to be passed on to more people at a more rapid rate. Um, in addition to that, a lot of Native Americans suffer from um, other comorbidities that are more severe or lead to more severe cases. Um, these include things like obesity, um, which causes hypertension, um, and diabetes. Uh, all three of those uh, comorbidities are seen to drastically increase the risk of having a severe case um, or causing death if you contract COVID. Um, some other conditions that uh, are also very common in the Native American populations include things like heart disease and heart failure and renal or kidney failure. And that's very common if, if someone has diabetes. It's, it's very common to see um, kidney problems associated with diabetes. And so um, all of those kind of come together as a perfect storm. Um, and make cases more severe. So if you have a population prone to those things, you also have a population much more prone to severe cases of COVID. Um, so yes, I can, I can understand and see why it's, it's disproportionately affecting them if you, know, you already have a population experiencing comorbidities piled on top of, of what could occur. Yeah. So how common is delirium or confusion with COVID? I don't think we've talked about that symptom before yeah fortunately delirium is a very uncommon symptom for covid um, however if someone does experience delirium while they are infected with covid it's uh, potentially a very serious um, issue because it means it could be compromising their vasculature to their brain um, and they need to see a medical provider immediately or contact one immediately um, unfortunately, the sample size isn't large enough to uh, kind of uh, specifically focus and target in on, on specific uh, genetic or ethnic groups. Um, so, you know, we can't say whether or not that would affect Native Americans more than, you know, Asians or African Americans or Caucasians um, just because that sample size is so small, which is good because we don't want to see those complications with our patients. Right. Does it affect a certain age group more so than others? I haven't seen anything um, regarding age. Mm -hmm. It does seem like it affects older patients more. Okay. Um, yeah, they, they tend to be the ones that have more vasculature complications and stuff with COVID. So um, do you have any tips to deal with COVID fatigue, um, which is just basically feeling burnt out talking about the pandemic? 
thinking about the pandemic, I, dealing I totally with the understand the, the, the burnout, the COVID burnout. Um, you know, everyone's different and they all deal with stress differently. Um, the most important thing to do in, in a case like this is to deal with the stress in, in a healthy manner. Um, you know, this may be talking with friends or family. This may be, you know, creating something, engaging in a hobby that you may enjoy. Um, I like pottery. I don't do it often, but I find it very therapeutic. It's like playing with dirt, and I like that. Uh, you know, some people just may find it a struggle to engage in the activities they enjoyed um, previous to COVID. I mean, there's a lot of people suffering from depression right now, and and if, you know, people are finding it hard to um, enjoy small things that they experienced before, um, it's really a good idea to reach out for some professional help. I know the Behavior Health Department at the Menominee Tribal Clinic has done an excellent job of doubling the amount of time and opportunities for people to um, go through the intake process so they can start speaking with therapists. Um, so they've really opened up opportunities to see more patients. Um, and, you know, there, there shouldn't be any type of stigma or... Um, uh, yeah, stigma associated with seeing someone um, like a therapist. I mean, they're there to help get you through difficult situations. Um, and sometimes it's really helpful to talk to someone that has an outside perspective on your life um, and can provide some objective feedback and opinions. Um, you know, it's it's understandable to, to be stressed out if you're struggling. This has been a, a challenging time for, I would say everyone. I think that's pretty fair to say that it's caused a lot of stress. Um, but reaching out for help can really help clear a lot of things up. Um, another thing that uh, is, is kind of interesting, um, if some people, they've done studies and they found if some people take the time to step back from things like news and social media, it actually improves their mood. Um, and it, that doesn't that, surprise it, me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, it kind of deals with, you know, the amount of exposure. If you if you step back for a little bit, you can kind of let yourself reflect on, you know, where you're at, what you're doing, how your family is. Um, and it can it can help lower a lot of stress regarding the, the COVID situation. I mean, there are only so many things that we can do in our sphere of influence that will change, you know, the outcome of, of this pandemic. Um, and I think understanding what we can and can't control and not stressing out about those things that we can't control uh, will definitely help us, you know, move through this and cope with, you know, what happens in the end. Um, you know, we actually have a couple of different web links that we can actually post in the, in the, the show notes that have a lot of resources um, from the CDC and other, you know, Wisconsin-based organizations um, that can help people deal with some of the things that are going on too. So, you know, reach out for help. Don't go it alone. Yeah, I, I'll send you that I feel that like link. the COVID stress and then like seasonal depression is just like oh, mixing yeah. together right now. Yeah. And the sun sets at like 4.30. So. I was, was talking to my wife. I was like, so when's the winter solstice? We're almost done with this, right? And she's like, it's in December. I'm like, okay, okay, I'll just take it. Yeah, so um, just as a quick follow-up question, is there anything available like virtually as far as um through the behavior health department you know i i know our behavior health team is is doing a lot more over the phone work um we've been trying to get some some virtual you know face-to-face -face type video conferencing in there as well 
um, we're working on that too. Uh, so we're trying to reach out more and, and make sure everyone can, can have someone to talk to if they need it. Do you have any parting thoughts for people before Thanksgiving here? You know, um, I hope everyone has, has a safe and, and healthy Thanksgiving. Um, I know one of the things that, that drastically improves my mood is actually reflecting on things I am grateful for. And funny thing is they've done studies on uh, the act of gratitude and they've found it improves everyone's health when they engage in something that helps them feel grateful for what they have. And I think, you know, all things considered, given everything that's happened in 2020, we still have a lot of great blessings um, living here in Wisconsin and in America. And I hope everyone can take time to, to reflect on those things too, because I think that'll help them get through this situation. Thank you, Vaughn. You bet. Thanks for having me. Why when and for listening to the Menominee Indian Tribe of Wisconsin podcast, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. You can also listen to the podcast on menominee-nsn.gov under the community tab and keep up to date by following us on Facebook at MITW Podcasts. We do weekly updates with Vaughn and we welcome any community questions you have regarding COVID-19. So please send them into us via email at podcast at mitw.org.